What's up everyone and welcome to episode 116 of the Justin Insight Podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. Uh, my name is Tim Burbeck, as always I am your host of this show, I uh, hope everyone is well. Um, I've got to be totally honest, I've been pro- feeling pretty ill over the past week since our last show, um, so yeah, feeling a little bit worse for wear for myself. So yeah, haven't really been up to a whole lot. Um, but just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone that checked out the download review episode, all the positive feedback from that as always, and thanks again to Sean for, for stepping in and helping me on that. Um, but we are back to our normal format this week, um, but before we get into to this week's guests, uh, just a tiny little bit of news that came out today, um, UK hardcore band Renounced uh, put out a, on all their social media that they'll be releasing some new music on June 30th. Um, I'm not 100% sure if it's going to be the full record or just a single coming off the upcoming third record from the band. But whatever it is, I'm extremely excited to hear. So, yeah, make sure you go check that out on June 30th. Um, yeah, that's all I kind of really wanted to, to mention. Sorry, I'm a little bit hazy, as I said. Been a bit bit ill this week. My brain's still not fully functioning. Um, but let's get into this week's guest. Uh, and we are joined by Kristen Hayter, better known as the genius mind behind Lingering Nota. Um, we discussed Kristen's, uh, how she sort of grew into the project through uh, doing a graduate project in school how uh, she kind of became sort of accepted in this avant-garde heavy music world and how her music has evolved through that uh the energy that she exudes during her live performances um and what we can expect up for her upcoming second album caligua um so all of that is is discussed in the conversation um anyone that is familiar with Kristen's music will know that the subject matter is quite dark but in case uh, there's some listeners who are new to the show and are new to, to Lingua Ignota and um, there are discussions of domestic and sexual abuse during this episode so just a, a heads up on that one um, but yeah that's enough from me please sit back enjoy the chat I have with Kristen and I'll see you on the other side Joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is uh, Kristen Hayter, the creative mind behind Ligua Ignota. Uh, Kristen, thank you very much for taking some time to have a little chat with me. Um, are we excited to be having new music to present to the world, RNs, now? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me, Tim. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to have this music out there um, in July. Um, it's been completed for a while, and then our release was supposed to originally be in March. So I've been sitting on this material for a long time. Oh, okay. So I'm really excited to have it out away from Earth, <laughs> you know, yeah. for people to to hear it at last. I always find that really interesting like, with, with like artists and stuff. Obviously, for people like myself and like music fans in general, obviously we just kind of see the music when it's finally presented to us. But mm-hmm. for artists, they they must have like sit on stuff for ages and then they're already kind of moving on to the next project sort of thing so has that kind of been a bit of frustration for you or is it just sort of a timing issue and that you're kind of happy with how it's sort of been all dealt with I mean I think ultimately I'm glad with um I'm glad I think the timing has ultimately worked out but um I did I did finish this record in like uh in the fall I think yeah um, and and then we were supposed to, and it took a little bit longer, 
or a lot longer maybe to actually complete the thing um, than I originally thought it was going to. So it was like maybe a year and a half that I was working on it. And, um, and yeah, so then it was supposed to come out, I think first in March and then it just a bunch of timing issues and certain things weren't ready. And so, um, so now it's, it got pushed back about six months. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it's finally ready to be released. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, definitely like, it's always funny to look back and, um, like so, some parts of the music, like I can't even remember when I actually made them or, yeah. um, I'm just like, Oh, what, where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how, how I've changed and how the music that I'm working on now has changed compared to what is, is coming out. Yeah. Like maybe a, a, a bit later than I originally intended. So yes, very long winded answer. Yes. <laughs> that was cool. Um, well, as I mentioned briefly before I kind of hit record, the show is called just an insight. I like to take my guests all the way kind of back to their origin story, so to say. Um, so what was your kind of first ex- exposure of kind of alternative music and what kind of got you sort of exploring that kind of side of the music world? Yeah, um, my first experience with alternative music, I think, was when I was um, pretty young. Um, my cousin who was older, who was a teenager at the time, left a copy of, uh, a cassette copy of Nirvana's Nevermind right. um, at my house. <clears throat> and um, I remember listening to it on, like, my Walkman or whatever <laughs> yeah. at the time and being so blown away and really, like, becoming really, really invested in Nirvana and, like, the, the kind of culture surrounding Nirvana in the coming, like, year or so. And I was maybe in fifth or sixth grade at that point so like 10 ish 10 ish years old Mm. um and uh from there i just i got into um nine inch nails subsequently after that um after i burned out on nirvana and learned like my obsession with nirvana was so deep that um my parents didn't want me to listen to them first of all okay because of like the you know the imagery and um you know Kurt's drug use and yeah, suicide, yeah. which I didn't even really know about at the time. I was just like so psyched on the music. Yeah. Um, but um, I would buy Nirvana biographies at, at the bookstore, and I would um, also buy like a, a volume of Shakespeare or like yeah, I think the I think the ones that I used for the two that I did this tour Shakespeare. So I would gut the Shakespeare from its from the binding and glue the Nirvana biography <laughs> to Shakespeare so that my parents would know that I was reading about Nirvana. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, that went on for, like, a couple of years, and then I got really into Nine Inch Nails, and, like, it, and from there um, into, like, industrial music, mm. um, like Skinny Puppy and then Neubauten, and then when you get to Neubauten, you can kind of go, like, all kinds of different directions into like noise and so that's that's kind of where it started and i read that obviously you kind of had a were brought up in sort of like a a religious background so obviously Mm -hmm. was that kind of part of it as well that the whole sort of keeping the nirvana thing a secret was that that 
obviously that kind of culture and as you say kind of like the drug abuse and things and stuff were kind of massively frowned upon upon the church was that kind of your way of rebelling against the church or was it just something that you were kind of drawn to and it was your little secret sort of thing yeah i think um from uh yeah the, the kind of um the conservative and somewhat oppressive nature of uh of the church um definitely influenced the way that i conducted myself when i was like when i became an adolescent and, yeah. and a teenager um and yeah definitely rebelling against those um those tenets and mores and um being raised like somewhat strictly mm. um not the most but like yeah um and um and also growing up in um and going to parochial school um, for pretty much my whole childhood, and feeling um, feeling like I didn't belong there, and having a lot of issues with like bullying when I was a kid, mm. um, and and then feeling like you know I was kind of an outsider and um, was lonely, and this music appealed to that loneliness. I think. Yeah, and. I've read somewhere else that obviously that you when you were kind of a lot younger that you were singing in church choirs and and things like that and I guess there's still kind of an element to to that to your voice now so did you think that that kind of early embedding of kind of singing at a young age kind of helped shape you into sort of music and pushing you in that musical direction maybe the church maybe not be the greatest place that many people would think of starting a musical career, but did that help you? Yeah, definitely. Um, that was my first experience of actually singing or, or doing music at all, I think was mostly, um, was in the church. Um, and I started out, um, doing, uh, choir and little solo pieces once, um, once the, the nuns who were conducting the choir figured out that I had an affinity for singing. Um, so I would, I would start to do that. And, um, and then I was eventually like cantor for my parish for a minute and would lead the congregation in song. And, um, and I think kind of from there, because the, the liturgical world of music is like very similar to, um, eh, not, not similar necessarily in, well, a little bit, um, to, to classical music. Yeah. Um, and so from there, I, uh, my parents were like, well, you should take lessons and, and actually learn how to sing. And so from there, I did classical music. And at kind of at the same time that I was um, taking lessons to, to do classical work um, as a soprano, I was also really getting into the alternative stuff and like the dark music. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of feel like my the whole kind of musical trajectory kind of stems from those two things mm. and in terms of kind of not just the the scene because obviously you you play multiple instruments and things like that so talk me through your discovery of actually kind of playing music itself like obviously you said kind of singing in the church was where you first learned to sing but was it kind of that introduction of kind of classical training that got you actually playing music and dabbling into other instruments and things like that Right, yeah. Um, I uh, when I started vocal lessons, my teacher also insisted on doing 
classical piano as right. well. Um, and I started a little bit later than I think a lot of kids do when they start doing classical um, piano seriously. So I started when I was like 11 maybe, and I think most, you know, some kids started as early as like five. Okay. So I was, I was kind of like, I was a little bit behind and I sucked at piano. I really <laughs> sucked at piano and I still do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm so, I'm so fucking grateful for that now because it taught me how to read music. It taught me how kind of, how to think about music, um, and how music is structured, how, yeah, it was, um, a really important thing for me to learn. And so from when I got into alternative music also, I learned how to play guitar, mm. which I don't really know how to do anymore, and, and bass, and my dad is, is a really gifted guitarist, um, so I kind of learned a little bit from him, and I, uh, and then when I got into, into high school, all of my friends were musicians as well, and played various, um, like a lot of them were in like jazz band or in their own um, like punk bands or whatever. So I kind of learned from, from them as well. And then in terms of kind of your, your, you said, you mentioned that obviously kind of learning the classical things and then sort of discovering alternative music kind of ran in tandem. So, so to say, so when did you kind of know sort of the light bulb moment of saying, well, I can use what I'm learning from like my classical sense to then use that in an alternative setting what was there kind of a moment when you sort of like thought oh I can put my voice to something a bit grittier a bit heavier sort of thing um kind of in in the context of not necessarily in the context of like making my own stuff Mm. um until until much later I think um but I, um, it really influenced the way that I, um, or like my interest in dark music and alternative music, um, and metal and industrial and and punk and all that stuff really influenced the repertoire that I insisted on singing when I was doing classical music. Okay. So, um, so my teachers, my voice teachers were always like, oh God, because I'd be like, I want to sing. Um, when I was younger, I had, um, for, for classical, typically you sing music that um, correlates to your voice type and your age, and there's mm. like a level of like a hierarchy and like appropriateness um, to, to what you're supposed to actually be singing as you're training. And um, so for the stuff that I was supposed to be singing when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, it would all be this repertoire called superette or like lyric soprano, which is, um, which refers to kind of arias that are like really light and frilly and like kind of cute okay um and and very um uh like not a lot of substance emotionally or musically um although some of them are, are very beautiful of course um but i um I like refused to, to sing that music <laughs> and I was like no like I want to sing like these you know 19th century Russian art songs and my teacher's like well I can't teach you Russian nobody knows Russian here and I'm like well then I'll figure out a way to learn Russian and so I would you know te- kind of teach myself Russian mm. so that I could learn these like really um ridiculous uh dark like songs by Mussorgsky or 
um, I would ask to sing like stuff from like the 11th century that there was like no notation for. And uh, so I think it was really annoying for my teachers. I was just like, oh, God, this fucking kid, like, won't won't do what we want her to do, won't follow the rules. Um, and, yeah, so I, the, like, my interest in, like, all the the dark music of, um, that I was interested in, in in my life was, like, I, I wanted to sing that. And so that's, I think that's how I found, like, a lot of the weird, like, early music and classical music that influences me today. Mm. Um, was just by going like down those rabbit holes trying to find like very um, yeah finding like more kind of obscure stuff yeah um, yeah and on that kind of like when I don't know obviously because I think when you're younger your brain maybe not necessarily thinks of it as kind of a, a necessarily a creative thing but were, mm-hmm. were you kind of I don't know was it was it a case that you were always drawn to the obscure or was it that you kind of felt like the you wanted to to kind of break the norm from doing as you say the kind of the more light and sort of beautiful music that you wanted to try, kind of challenge yourself like what was it that drew you to that kind of darker side of classical music in that sense um I think that was how that was how I felt um, okay. I was always kind of like a I was always a lonely kid I was always um, like a, a sad and very anxious kid mm. I didn't feel that singing um, something light and, and pretty was um, was me really right so yeah that that was kind of where I think that's that's mostly where that came from <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so something else that I always kind of find interesting is um especially over in the states with it being such a a big country is kind of like different sort of musical scenes when people are growing up so where yeah. whereabouts did you did you actually grow up i grew up in san diego california okay so we, when did you kind of start sort of exploring sort of going to shows and sort of like i guess dipping your toes into the alternative world outside of just listening to it in the comfort of your own home yeah um i think i started going to shows when i was about 13 years old and um san diego at the time had like a pretty cool grindcore scene okay um, cool and like a pretty cool like uh, i don't know man san diego is a little bit rough music <laughs> okay but, like it's kind of like it's kind of a bummer here but um but we have, uh, like, we have cattle decapitation, yeah. we have the locust, like, we had, you know, like, a, a pretty substantial scene of, like, heavy hitters in grindcore and in, um, in heavy extreme music, so I remember going to those shows when I was young, uh, going to see, like, hardcore, power violence, metalcore, and grindcore and stuff that would come through, as well as going to see, like, um, any kind of, like, weird, noisy, experimental or academic avant-garde stuff like just kind of all through my teens Mm. um just yeah becoming more and more obsessed with going going to shows and like being a part of that stuff um so yeah but it definitely started with like you know seeing the locust and you know a record store downtown um when i was like 13 years old i think Mm. and in terms of you kind of then exploring your own sort of musical explosions in into that world what when did you kind of start playing sort of 
alternative music and were you kind of part of bands or is kind of what you're doing now has that kind of been the first real exploration into that world yeah I think um I think I kind of took a different like a little bit of a different route I I originally tried to play in in bands um in high school and stuff and I I don't um, I have a hard time like ceding that much control um so I think generally like I would have had to work on my own but I also didn't feel at that point that I was able to or ready to compose any music that would be like worthy of being in the world like I did stuff kind of on my own Mm. on on like synthesizer or whatever um at home and, and made things and wrote things but largely I was so invested in singing singing classical music and getting ready to go to conservatory and, okay. and sing other people's music to go um, to do that professionally. And then that kind of didn't, um, I changed my mind kind of right before I was supposed to go to conservatory <laughs> okay. and, I, and I went to art school instead. Um, and that was just like a whole different thing. And that was ju- just about making my own stuff. Yeah. Um, and so then that was like, I had this I developed a practice that was kind of based in text and sound and performance and um, hybridized all these things along with like research and weird art history and all this stuff. And, um, and then that's when I kind of like, that's when the beginnings of, of what my current project and and the stuff that I do now, that's where that came from. Okay. Um, Yeah. So, so there was no kind of, I guess sort of like, in the in the broad sense of the term sort of like DIY punk bands or anything like that it was all kind of I guess kind of come through naturally through doing projects in in art school to where we are now is is that kind of how the, the journey sort of evolved yeah I, th- I think mostly to an extent um I was I was in like some bands when I was younger and then I also was just um like my friends and I were all just such like we were kind of just like pretentious little weirdos we would just get together like we would do all these you know kind of absurd things like we tried to declare my friend's backyard a socialist nation <laughs> Brilliant. All, like, we would go over to his house and like listen like improvise on you know various instruments to like bill o'reilly's audiobook for children or like something really inane and strange mm. um or like listen to you know babies playing the piano like some sort of obscure really random recording like that um and then improvise over that as well so there was kind of like this weird um absurd like teenagers doing dumb shit yeah um, zone of of like uh you know whatever that might be called but um but yeah nothing nothing like notable um, yeah for me at that point and i guess even kind of like you saying there like just listening to things that are a bit bit strange and obviously I think that can kind of link into what you're doing now with Lingua Ignota and obviously as you said kind of doing the the projects that you were doing in in art school so have you kind of always been drawn to the more obscure the more avant-garde sort of side of extreme music rather than to to be very general like than your metal bands or your hardcore bands has that kind of been the lane that you've always kind of been drawn to i mean i think 
there's value in in all of that stuff. There's sometimes like I think um I think the really kind of intense visceral like I'm thinking in particular of hardcore like mm. that it's um that there's just like something so immediate and so um so wonderful about that immediacy that I I was always really attracted to and yeah. um so like I I would just listen to hardcore all the time when I was a kid um and uh, I still do sometimes um but definitely in kind of a more um I'm also very much attracted to the stuff that's like very cerebral or that does something different um and that has like intention to Mm. it I think not to say that hardcore doesn't but something that has like kind of a cerebral weird intention um or that that seems to like come out of nowhere or does or does something unexpected yeah so i think it's like i think it's a little bit of both honestly mm. and if we go on to kind of the the early incarnations of, of lingering nota when you were kind of doing that as you said that it kind of formed from these sort of text-based projects that you're doing in in art school so mm-hmm. was it in in its sort of early incarnations was it just kind of an elevated state of that or what what was the kind of early concept of of the idea it was a little bit an elevated state um of that it grew out of my thesis work um when i did my graduate degree um and that was this big stupid document that was ten thousand pages long um and it was supposed to be like this big impossible thing that you couldn't read right okay not um but that also couldn't be ignored. Um, and then that became like a, it became a cycle of songs um, and it became an installation and, um, and it became a performance practice that mm. I did for my thesis. And then um, I was also kind of at the time, Providence has a really, or where I did my master's degree in Providence mm. um, has a really interesting scene or did, or kind of like fluctuates a little bit, I think as all scenes do. But um it has um, a very strong academic component inside to it with it has like, you know, Brown and a few other universities there. Um, but it also has a really um, strong lineage of like, again, of hardcore and DIY yeah. uh, punk. And like, there's a really strong like uh, queer scene there. And so it's, uh, there's like a really interesting hybridizing and like um mixing of of those two worlds and sometimes you'd see a bill that would have like oh this person's a a graduate student at brown and this person is like you know a queer punk and this person is like uh, a black metal or and um and so it would be um an interesting conflation of all those different things so i started kind of performing my work and and starting to collaborate with kind of different people in both worlds. Mm. Um, and so perform the thesis work like at, at the school and then also like at, at a venue or at a show or something. And, um, I found kind of over time that, um, academia was not super interested in the, um, like the emotional content and the confrontational aspect of my work Mm. and that it was and that that rawness and immediacy that I had in, in the work was much better suited for um, like a DIY zone or a zone that was more like um, accepting yeah of of you know emotional content so yeah 
And in terms of kind of the the sound that I'm jumping forward a little bit, but like in terms of the sound that you have now, obviously there's you said earlier big fan of Nine Inch Nails, and obviously I think that influence kind of comes through and the sound has that industrial sort of noisy kind of element to it but obviously you come from a, a classical background in some aspects so when did you start to kind of dabble into using sort of noise and things like that was that kind of in in those early stages or did that come along a little bit later yeah the the kind of like um the interest in sound art and in noise that um that's been ongoing for me since i was um since I started going to art school right. um, uh, in my early, yeah, in my late teens, early 20s, when I really kind of just got into like, um, when I got into the avant-garde and like musique concrète and, and all of that stuff. Um, and those those communities of, of, um, of like the early 20th century um, were also very much like um, interdisciplinary and like, poets and musicians and architects and um all of those people kind of um hanging out so it's um i i got kind of inspired by like all of these people using all these different disciplines to to make their work or collaborating in that way Mm. um and would uh collaborate some with with different people when i was much younger on on noise stuff but yeah i was just really um really interested like at, at first i was really interested in uh in building things and in circuit bending okay and, cool um, and making stuff and doing like motion sensor motion detection work um and that's part of what i took into um into my graduate program was like wanting to build um uh, things that would would make sound um, yeah. that would mostly relocate themselves back to the voice um, so I wanted to work with like technologically mediated vo- vocals um, but yeah everything just kind of went like a slightly different direction than I intended which is fine um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah so um, that stuff all started pretty or the interest in like noise and in that that world all started pretty young as well mm. and then when you kind of went out into performing it not in a an academic s- state but then as you say going into the kind of diy spaces and things mm-hmm. was it quite a, a nerve-wracking thing for you because i guess in art school where you're kind of doing it in front of peers and things that they they m- maybe have a bit more understanding and that maybe not sort of as unforgiving as a spectator that doesn't have a clue who you are sort of thing so what were those kind of early performances like and in terms of kind of you as a person obviously now a lot of people know you and know your story and things but was there a lot of pushback with you being a woman entering that kind of world um i think um Yeah, I think there's been. I mean, I found I found a lot of acceptance that I didn't okay. really expect to find in in different, um, in zones that I really didn't expect to find it. And yeah. one one thing that I'm trying to learn as I go forward, um, is to be much less judgmental, and much more <laughs> yeah. compassionate about about how I think about like certain certain things, um, 
because some people who I thought would not be nice to me have been super nice to me, and some people that I thought would be nice to me have not been super nice to me or my friends or, or something like that. But um, I think um, with academic stuff, um, it was uh, it was just a little, it was too much. Mm. Um, it was too. Um, there's there's a really academia is um, for as liberal as it wants to be it does not uh, it doesn't really live up to that a bunch of the time okay. um, and I know a lot of, I know a lot of um, people who are not white men who have had a really hard time in academia making the the work that they want to make um and get a lot of pushback from it Mm. and that's kind of what i experienced as well and um but to start working um or to start making music in in like metal and noise context like that was that was unnerving at first Mm. um the the scene in providence is like generally really accepting okay that's um, cool and and finds um finds stuff that's uh you know um again like has like a really big like queer punk queer art scene so um tries to be open largely and um but as i went on it uh you know that's that's not the case everywhere unfortunately (laughs) so it's been you know kind of kind of both zones have been there have been moments that have been like crushing um so so yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like it's everywhere, but you also have to be just kind of um, as or I I feel that I've you know want to become like less judgmental and and more kind of open to being like okay, well maybe this won't be you know terrible. Mm. Maybe these people will like me when I think that they won't. Uh, so so yeah. And is it kind of been that you've kind of had to grow a thicker skin to that sort of thing or is it as you say is it also that you're kind of changing your perceptions on like having a a preconception of oh well if I go to this unknown city they may not like me for the way I present is it is it a kind of a bit of push like give and take in that in that aspect absolutely yeah um yeah I think that um, I think that it's always important to engage in, in critical self-reflection and mm. to be like, okay, well, what am, um, if I'm having problems, what am I doing? And then what is, what is going on around me? Um, and to acknowledge like my own responsibility in anything that, um, in anything that turns out not well for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, uh, I, um I totally lost my turn. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I was gonna say, so if we kind of get deeper into to lingering notes now, obviously, I'll get into kind of my exposure of you in, in a moment. But the one thing that's kind of drawn me to your your music, and one thing that I found fascinating is that. It's, there's kind of like a narrative and a story to to the songs and like it's almost like you're a storyteller rather than a vocalist if that makes sense so yeah. has that kind of always been 
uh, a conscious train of thought for yourselves when when you're writing a piece of, of music that you want it to tell a story rather than it just be a song I think yes and no I think I'm um, I've always been um, my training in art has to do with um, has like a very like conceptual basis so I always think about instead of the execution of the thing I always think about like how and why the thing should be made and Mm. what that says about the thing or the product as opposed to like um you know I'm gonna make this beautiful thing that does this I think about like why should this thing do what it's doing and what tools can I use to make that thing do Mm. the thing I want it to do so um I look at um, storytelling in terms of like this is the content that I need to convey or that I want to convey and then what tools do I have at my disposal to to convey that content yeah Um, I think more with this last record I was really more interested in like having an actual narrative arc to the to the thing okay um i don't know why i keep calling it the thing um i um having like a narrative arc to to the music and and to the record and so that it's like a a complete actual narrative yeah like literal narrative um but i've always been interested in um uh a lot of texts that don't have linear narrative or that um uh like with with the background kind of in writing a little bit like a lot of writing that i'm interested in is like procedural or is based on like is it is experimental and is based on like math systems and like you know giant texts that generate themselves from you know some sort of math system or that never use the letter e or that Mm. like i don't know so that stuff um has been a big influence as well so i kind of try to approach storytelling in a different way i think but but more a little bit more traditional in this in this new one yeah and as i mentioned so my exposure to yourself was probably like a lot of people was through your involvement of working with the body mm-hmm. um and i don't mean this to diminish your art in any sense whatsoever because obviously you were doing stuff prior to that to that appearance sort of thing but did you find that that kind of a lot of people that track turned a lot of people on to, to what you were doing and brought more eyes and attention to you? Oh, 100%. Um, absolutely. Um, the body, Chip and Lee are some of my closest friends mm. and they are the best people. The, the I mean, I know sometimes we like say shit about our friends or like we say like we hyperbolize, but like truly chip and lee are just such wonderful people they're super generous and they um they're really interested in music Mm. they really like music and they like a lot of different kinds of music that are outside of like metal yeah so they they bring a lot of that into their into their records as well and i think um have have kind of a, a history of doing lots of collaboration and working with their friends and working with artists that they respect and admire and so when um 
when I think we had played one show together in Providence, um, and then I think we played another one, and I think on the second one, um, after that they were recording, um, I have fought against it, but I can't any longer, and the day after uh, we played, or, or I think it was like the day after we played, Lee texted me and was like, hey, do you want to come uh, record with us? And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I was like, oh my god, they what? No, why? I'm no one. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. trash. I'm just shit. Yeah. And, um, and, but I went in and did it, and I remember I had a migraine, and Lee gave me like this powder for my migraine, like this weird, like, I'd never, I only take like, you know, um, naproxen or whatever yeah. for migraines. And he had like this really weird, special <laughs> migraine powder, and he was like, here, take this. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this is. It's like, um, but so I, I did, I did, uh, the vocals for, um, that track and I was just like, I hated it. I was like, this was so bad. Can I redo it? And I hate it. And they were just like, no, it has like a vibe to it. You got to keep it. So, um, so yeah, them having me on that record and then like shouting out my music a bunch of times mm. to their fans and then taking me on tour like I've gone on tour with those guys like they've been you know we did one big tour and a couple smaller tours they've taken me on tour four times and they did that mostly when nobody knew who I was and nobody cared so they really do like they care about their community and they care about lifting up their friends yeah so yeah so their their fans kind of becoming my fans and them giving me like a leg up like that did everything for me I mean Mm. I've had so much more help along the way now but like that was like um that's kind of set everything in motion yeah well as I mentioned so like for me obviously that kind of then put me onto your music and sort of delving a bit deeper into your into yourself and obviously by by proxy coming into um all bitches die and obviously Mm -hmm. on first listen like without kind of any idea of what the record was about sort of thing like the music itself was was mind-blowing but then with your your kind of style of music I think you need to kind of have an understanding of where the artists come from sort of thing so obviously I did a bit of reading a bit of delving and obviously then kind of understood where the subject matters was, was coming from obviously with yourself being a survivor and then kind of being an advocate for others in in that sense so in terms of kind of when you were writing that record was it cathartic or was it a hard process to kind of not just relive your experience but maybe kind of thinking of what other people who have gone through those experiences have gone through and how to put that into a musical narrative yeah um it was it was difficult to make that record and um it was kind of a different way of making music than i had done before um like as i mentioned like the the first ep that i put out by myself let the evil of his own lips cover him was based on like all the thesis music and and that work so um it has like a real procedural um or it comes from like systems it's like i did this thing and this thing together equaling this thing Mm. um and uh so a lot of times the way that i've kind of processed 
trauma or like or unhappiness in my work is through like is through creating those like very elaborate kind of systems that I make my work in and with all bitches die um there's a little bit of that but it was much more kind of organic and I was just like well I want to take a lot of basically take like murder ballads mm. and flip them and uh, make it about survival um ugh, survivor violence yeah um so that was kind of the only structure I had as opposed to like the thesis being like, well, this is like right of spring and this <laughs> yeah. thing will do this thing. And it's meat shit's lyrics that are transcribed by Markov chain into like blah, 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 blah. So, um, so that was kind of like the only rubric that I had. And, um, and I was also like still in a very dark place when I made all bitches die. Mm. So it was, um, I think that at that point, like making that record was, was cathartic. And I was also hyper hyper insecure about it and I didn't think that it was any good and maybe I still don't but um I was just like I was constantly self second guessing myself and being like this is not good because it doesn't have I part of it was because I didn't think it had the theory behind it to back it up that the previous stuff did and mm. I had like that kind of academic like uh self-loathing of like yeah. oh this doesn't have like a big fucking paper to make to validate it um so, so yeah, I think, um, it was, it was therapeutic and it was also very weird to put that out. Um, and yeah, didn't think anyone would care, it, of <laughs> yeah. course. So, so I'm, I, I think like now that I know a lot of people have, I would go back and do some things differently. Yeah. But, um, so it goes, you know. And I don't want to kind of make this sort of an uncomfortable sort of thing for you to talk about but obviously with yourself being a survivor I think a lot of sort of artists who who have kind of spoken about that subject in their music kind of obviously speak about their own experiences and mm-hmm. to some extent that is within your music but you have said in other interviews and elsewhere that all bitches die isn't necessarily a direct correlation to your experience so was that something that you were carefully thinking about that that you didn't want this just to be a a sort of i'm a survivor this is my story kind of album yeah no no um i don't um I don't think that like my story is the one that everyone needs to hear. Okay. For sure. I don't think that like my experience trumps everyone else's experience and like I should be at the front waving the banner because like my story is the worst and yeah. like everyone feels sad for me. Um for sure. And I think that um the way that I'm able to talk about my experiences and to process them in the music is to put them in kind of like an allegorical context and that like makes them like one level removed from the stuff that I've been through Mm. Um, because I feel like somehow like it's not super important for me or like I don't think even really that powerful for me to be like well this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then the cops came and like blah 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 yeah you know that's not something that's super helpful to anyone although a lot of times that is what people want from survivors is like they want the graphic details or else it's not believed um so 
I wanted to look at kind of creating experiences that were real, but they're real in like a biblical context. Mm. So there's no, um, with, with like biblical allegory, there's like, uh, good and evil and there's, they're absolutes. Um, and, and yet in the music I play with that as well. And like the different roles that those can, you know, those ideas can inhabit. But, um, I, um, try to put kind of like as little of myself into the actual story as possible. Like I'm hidden there, but it's like under a bunch of layers yeah. of stuff, you know. And then in terms of kind of going sort of back to what I asked earlier in terms of you kind of first performing and if there was kind of any pushback for you being a woman in that situation. Mm-hmm. When you were kind of going maybe maybe not with the body because they're they're a bad example in terms of they're very inclusive but doing shows in on your own sort of thing when were people were realizing what the subject matter was was there kind of any confliction in that aspect because i think even today unfortunately like when you're when men particularly are presented with a story of domestic abuse sexual assault or something like that there's still a percentage of men that will stiffen up and be like oh well that's yeah. the and all this sort of thing mm-hmm. and i think with the metal scene being predominantly white male i'm like was there kind of a, a hard situation for you to kind of get that message across in the in the beginning or was it not so have you kind of found it that everything's been quite inclusive in in your experiences it definitely um it has really vacillated from mm. like from one from one extreme of that to another okay and i think that i think that there have been moments where i think like i mentioned a little bit uh, a little while ago there have been moments where i'm like i, I look at the room and i'm just like oh my god this is <laughs> not gonna go well for me i'm so fucked and and then it's like people are respectful or people are like open to listening and i had no idea that they would be and then there are times where I look at the room and I'm like, oh, fuck, like, I'm so fucked. This yeah. is going to suck. And then it does. Um, and so I think um, I think it's a matter. Um, some of it is it is a matter of the music being good or being like legit. Right. Yeah. And um, and I I don't know how to say that without sounding like a jerk. No, no, I like get you. Having... <laughs> like the, the 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 music kind of speaks for itself rather than what it's about. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, there are actually there are some people who have like no idea what the music's about, and they actually like the music. Yeah. And I think also having the backing of like of a label like Profound Lore, which is like historically like extreme metal, hyper, you know, very much like a, a man's. White man's <laughs> yeah. label. Um, and then being like, no, this is also good, um, is it has like lent some credibility to just like the music itself. Um, and so I think people are like more willing to listen based on that. I think if it was just like god awful music, I think I'd be in a lot more trouble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more of the time. But yeah, there have been there have been shows that have just been like fucking crushing. Yeah. Um, and when that happens, sometimes I try to like confront 
that energy more and be um and sometimes if it's just like all these all these fucking people are gonna talk through my set like and and be jerks or like say shit to me like i'll just play a really quiet set so that okay. everyone has to listen to you <laughs> that's cool um so i tr- like regardless of what and that took me a little while to grow into i didn't start out being like you know um being confident in that way but at this point like i do try to kind of harness whatever energy is in the room and it's different every time and i try to kind of play with that a little bit so if it sh- it shifts around yeah. it's gone both ways and in terms of kind of your approach to sort of music obviously like it has that sort of dark and uh, aggressive feel but i think as i mentioned earlier there's there's other bands and artists that cover the the subject of sort of abuse and survivors and things like that and without this kind of being a massively generic term there's a lot of kind of aggression in what they're saying and they're kind of your punk bands your hardcore bands and they're they're in the forefront shouting it with your music there's a lot more kind of obviously with your classical background like your vocals are a bit cleaner they're a bit softer at times and there's a beauty to that element so do you kind of find that that's kind of aided you in being able to again not necessarily tell your story but kind of put that kind of world out there that you've created that you have a softer approach because I think if some I'll take you a good example I went and saw War on Women earlier this week Uh and the crowd was amazingly predominantly women there but they were very much in your face this is what we're going to talk about and that can be quite sort of convulsive in like some people don't necessarily like that as specifically as I mentioned earlier men whereas your approach is kind of as you say the music is as a whole body of work kind of has this beautiful aesthetic to it so do you think that's kind of aided you in being able to kind of weave these things into into your music yeah absolutely like a hundred percent it's um it's uh yeah i think one of the reasons that this gets through is because um is because i'm somehow get to create kind of like a a different landscape for this stuff to live in um and I think that um, one of the things that I like to play with is creating like this false security for people with with like the beautiful sound environments. Yeah. It's like um, the lyrics might be really brutal and like grotesque and graphic, um, but it might be you know. Uh, they might be imposed on like a really lovely piano line. <laughs> yeah um, and so um, I like to play with that kind of juxtaposition as well and like redefining like what it means for uh, music to be heavy um, maybe it you know heavy music doesn't have to be like giant riffs and like someone screaming at you it can be sometimes yeah um, but maybe we can you know flip what that means a little bit too mm. And before we kind of get on to, to the new record itself, obviously another big thing of of your kind of music is your live performances. And mm-hmm. again, I think this kind of juxtaposes to 
to if you were to listen to your records at home but Mm -hmm. there's a bit more of a visceral kind of experience live so for you like is it just that when you start to play like it's kind of an out-of-body experience or how does that feel because I, i i've got to admit hands up i haven't had the chance to see you live myself but i've watched videos and things and it just it seems like there's like something has taken over you and you've just kind of gone through the set and then once you're finished Kristen's back in the room sort of thing so is that how it feels for you um sort of yeah i mean a a little bit it's like i'm not fully sure what happened (laughs) to me um i think uh i think i do have to like dissociate a little bit or or be like somewhat outside myself to be able to to do to do these shows yeah um but i also have to be there enough to be able to have like the muscle memory and the body um consciousness to be able to perform the stuff with like some degree of technical skill or like aptitude or to be able to do like a good job yeah somewhat um arguably and um so i think i just focus on getting to like that little zone there's like a little sweet spot of like where you're kind of outside yourself but you're still there enough to have like some awareness and be able to to give like full emotional um and like physical uh to be able to give over completely to that while also um just being able to to still perform what needs to be performed yeah yeah it's like it's like a it's like a fine line sort of um and yeah it took me it took me a while i think to find that place or to find out where that was comfortable Mm. um yeah well as i say like a a group of my friends had the opportunity to see you um at roadburn and um a very close friend of mine saw you when you were supporting um, Author and Punisher recently, so they've oh, cool. all gave you very rave reviews. Ah, so. oh, thank you. Um, just one more thing before we move on to to the new record. Something else that uh, maybe not necessarily you're known for, but is something that's in your repertoire is the the cover songs that you've done. Um, yeah. The the one that a lot of people know is obviously Jolene, but mm-hmm. obviously the one that I want to kind of talk about just because it kind of takes me back to my childhood is uh, Kim by Eminem. So, yes. <laughs> so why did you decide to, to kind of cover that song specifically? And was it kind of an interesting process to deconstruct it from a pure rap song to, to have it in the world of Lingua Igniter sort of thing? Yeah. That song is, uh, as soon as, like, I don't know, I've, uh, Eminem, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just, like, uh, that song is really upsetting. Yeah. It's been upsetting for, like, for a long time, and it's just, like, 
it's not even rapping. He's just screaming about murdering his wife. Yeah. And um, it's it's just it's so like. I mean, he says exactly what he wants to say, and uh, it's brutal and horrifying and super fucking misogynistic and so i i try to find music like that and i take it and i make it mine yeah and um i think that um hearing it in context of like my set um gives it kind of a a different meaning um and so i i look for music that's kind of like that like some of the music on all bitches die um or like part of all bitches die is actually like is a, is a murder ballad. It's you know I I consider that I consider Kim like technically a murder ballad I guess yeah. Um, but it's like um, all bitches die is kind of a radical recontextualization of this old murder ballad uh, Knoxville Girl. Okay. Um, so again you know another song about a woman getting murdered and then I take it and I um, or I. I try to take it and flip it into something that that's a little bit more meaningful or that causes us to like reflect on what we're actually listening to. Mm. Um, so yeah, but I, um, I gave when I started doing Kim and I, I think I've only done it live so far. I don't have a recording of it, although hopefully I will soon. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to give it, um, cause I, I obviously I don't want to rap necessarily. <laughs> I don't know if that would be a good look. Um, but um yeah just putting it into kind of a different environment where the text was is much slower and can be um really listened to and almost like a meditative religious space is kind of the the environment that i put that song in um yeah so just uh, hoping that people listen listen to it in a different way mm. um, if they've been listening to it in the way they have been via Eminem for you know however many yeah years and just in terms of the covers in general like is that something that that is just that you wanted to kind of experiment with or is it anything that you specific obviously taking the Kim example was it the songs that you've chosen are they do they have a significance or is it just purely the ones that you seem to feel work with your style? They do. They do mostly have significance. Um, I all, I almost always choose ones that are like about heartbreak or that have like, that have a weird, um, that have kind of like, that have lyrics that are presented in one way. But then if, if you flip them into kind of a different, a different space like a, a darker space they have like kind of a different meaning um and i do i do a cover of um i want to know what love is by foreigner yeah and um it's like when you when you put it's it's such like a sappy you know power ballad <laughs> yeah and then if you if you take it and put it into like a really an actually dark space it's just like crushing the lyrics are just fucking crushing um so i i look for songs that like can do that or that have you know uh, tur- that can be turned a little bit yeah and you mentioned obviously earlier that you've 
been sort of, sort of like shared the stage with with the body going out on tour with them several times i mentioned friends of mine saw you with author and punisher but obviously you've also kind of been out with bands like daughters and Munra and things like that mm-hmm. have those experiences kind of i guess moving on nicely to to the new record that's coming out in july have being able to share share the stage with those bands have they kind of guided you in what you want to do next in terms of because i guess they all kind of sit in a similar style to to you but i think you can easily pull things from them rather than them pull things from you if that makes sense right yeah um definitely all of those bands that you listed are insane (laughs) um they're all incredible. I've had, I've been so lucky and so blessed to tour with like the best people and the best bands. And just like, I don't know. It's so sick. I'm so, (laughs) I'm so, I'm so psyched on my friends and like the work that they're doing and, um, and getting to like inhabit the same stage or like the same zone as, as they do. And being asked to go along and play with some of these people is just like, so I'm so fucking honored. And like, um, yeah, from, and they all have been totally inspiring to me in different ways. And, um, I look at, you know, uh, like a band like Daughters, which I've been a fan of their music for a long time, but, um, I'd never seen them play before when, when I, um, I don't think they were playing so much when I was in Providence and, um. And yeah, I, I hadn't seen them before I went on tour with them and to see them live is, oh my God, they're so, they have this incredible energy mm. and every person in the band is super talented and super nice and like, um, and they're all friends of mine now and I'm, uh, and we like, you know, Lex and I share stories about like self-injury and, you know, our various wounds from <laughs> touring um and so uh, from them like so inspiring to see how they perform and like how they they take energy from the room and um and you know same thing with the body and also like just the way that the body exists and is good to their friends and has like this you know incredible community like that's been super inspiring um raw like incredible band and very incredible people and like um really truly dedicated to um delivering you know their message on their terms Mm. with a lot of integrity like in exactly the terms that they want super super smart band and like not even a band much more than that but um yeah i mean it's um it's been a real blessing to be able to like um, and there are so many more, like a- everyone that I've gotten to tour with, you know, King Woman, Author and Punisher, like I'm forgetting b- people, but like I've gotten to learn from, from all of them. And, um, it's cool also that like, they're kind of different styles, but I can kind of fit in yeah. with them. Um, yeah, it's been really cool. Really, really cool. And um- and if we move on to to the new record that's coming out in July, obviously, first track that you've released off it, um, Butcher of the World, is obviously kind of a, a snippet of, of what to expect. So, what's kind of from, from your perspective? What's the 
the initial feedback from that from that song been like for you? It's been really good. Um, people are into it, I think, for the most part. I haven't heard anyone. <laughs> yeah. Nobody has come to me and been like, this fucking sucks. Um, but I'm sure that's happening somewhere. Um, and, yeah, it's it's been good. It's really, really difficult for me to listen to the music or, like, any given song out of context for the whole record. Right, okay. Because the record is so much, like, its own thing meant kind of meant to be taken as a whole yeah so when we were talking about which song to make a single or the first single um we were i was just kind of like i don't know (laughs) none none of them no singles um but we decided that this this one kind of um is a good summation of the things that happen on the record and so so yeah it's um it's out there (laughs) (laughs) um I'm mostly excited for for the whole thing to to be because I feel like I feel like the song will make much more sense once people can hear the rest of the record. Yeah. When I hear it, I'm just like, oh, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. It's it's out there. Okay. And in terms of kind of the record itself, in like the the promo packages and and sort of news snippets that have kind of come out about it, like the I guess the the tagline is that it's kind of been your your most ambitious work and the biggest kind of piece of work that you've kind of done mm-hmm. so can yeah. you can you explain a little bit more about that in terms of kind of what was pushed it m- more in that direction why does it feel bigger and kind of I guess as you say is, is a piece as a whole so is that kind of factored into it yes um I knew that I wanted to make like a saga to make right. a big a big thing a big thing about like a cycle um and for it for the thing in itself to be like a, a cycle or a circle or a ring and i was thinking of um like big i didn't want to like i don't know when you put the the terms like opera and metal together i'm like Ooh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't i don't want to touch that but like I did have operatic structure in mind as I do have kind of classical structures in mind for a lot of my work. And I was thinking about like the concepts of like overture and, and light motifs and like all of these things that go come together to make like an operatic work, um, and elements of like, I don't know, Greek chorus and like different, um, different things from like larger, um, larger pieces of music. Mm. And, um, so this is also my first time that I've ever recorded in a studio, really. Okay. Stuff. So typically um, I'm recording entirely alone. The entire thing is like self-produced, self-made, nothing. Nobody else is around when I do it. Um, and uh, so I had, you know, a budget. I had a studio. I had, you know, Seth, who's my brilliant friend at Machines with Magnets, who um, engineered and, and um recorded most of the record with me and worked on me with it a lot so um there were like there are multiple people involved like i have a bunch of guests on the record um and collaborators and so um so yeah it's just making it like bigger and having bigger sounds live instrumentation um lots of lots of different things going on it's really kind of like a big labyrinth of a thing Mm. and um and then yeah just 
length. It's a, it's a double. It was originally <laughs> yeah. ninety minutes long. Oh wow! And then we were and then we were like, I don't know if that's you know, I don't know if people are going to want that. So we. I mean, it worked for it worked for Bellwitch, so. <laughs> I know it's true. Ah, uh, Mirror Reaper is so good too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. But yeah, for for these purposes, I was like, because uh, it's like my my debut kind of L, like actual full length yeah. record. So I'm like, I don't know if I want to subject people to that and be like, well, here, you know, here's my three hour long record for my first <laughs> yeah. thing. Please enjoy. Um, and but yeah, so so we cut it down like three times to get it to the length that it is now. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's just big everything about it is big and yep <laughs> and in terms of kind of the the subject matter again obviously from from reading sort of the the news snippets and the stuff that we get sent in terms of press kind of thing obviously mm-hmm. there's the subjects of the like the survivor narrative is still very much there in in mm-hmm. what's going being outwardly laid sort of thing was I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously, like because that had been done in All Bitches Die, was there a a sort of a thought in your mind to maybe step away from that and kind of bring something new into it, or was it always that going to be embedded in the theme? Yeah, I think that with this project, I I want to make sure that I'm doing something that's authentic and that's is sincere and I, yeah. I think especially if making work about um abuse of power abuse or in any context or like some um something like that it has to it has to come from like a real a real place and i i would never want to make this music never want to make music about abuse if it's like okay i guess we'll make i guess we'll make an abuse record yeah yeah um that would that would be false and and kind of and would make me feel bad would probably make everyone else feel bad i feel like people would be able to see that and be like oh god (laughs) um so i um i it it was i'm looking at kind of a i'm looking at kind of my own transformation over the last couple of years and like where i am yeah um and the things that um, and the things that I've experienced in the last couple of years, and that's all in in this record. Okay. And so it follows like it's it's a transformation, I think, or the project kind of is following this like trajectory that's like a, a transformation of a survivor narrative, I think. And I right. think this one sees a lot more like um, claiming power and like being being powerful there's a little bit less like self-loathing on the record okay um more just yeah blatant like bombastic power um yeah and then almost kind of bringing things completely full circle like from the the artwork to sort of promo photos and things like that there seems to be kind of like and even things that I've seen you being posted on like social media, there seems to be a lot of kind of religious sort of iconography and imagery that sort of being used around the kind of lead up to this release. Mm-hmm. 
has it been sort of strange to kind of go almost all the way back to to something that you kind of sort of dismissed in some aspects in your youth to now be using it as a as a platform to push your work forward it is um yeah it's it's interesting um i think in this in this release um and in the in the work surrounding it i'm looking again at at religion in terms of of absolutes yeah in terms of like um biblical power um and also looking at at religion as like unquestionably a place or particularly christianity and um and for my purposes like catholicism a place where abuse of power happens um and the record is is a lot about abuse of power at all these different levels that we're you know we currently have to live with at you know societal levels and political levels and religious levels and in our communities um and interpersonally um so i wanted to to look at that and to look at just kind of like um absolutes i mm. think and in terms of the the title of the record i'm i'm not going to try and pronounce it because I'll, I'll butcher it but <laughs> but i guess with with your first records obviously all bitches die it's there it's very much on the surface of what that record is about but obviously can be open to interpretation so can you talk me through the what the title of the record means and does it have any significance to the narrative that runs through it yeah absolutely um so uh caligula refers to um the roman emperor um who I'm less, I'm less interested in, t- um, in the record, like talking about Caligula himself, right. but, um, but kind of, I think the term Caligula in, in the kind of like my cultural historical understanding of the word to me means depraved, senseless violence. Okay. And, um, okay. And, now I see yeah, the link. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he was, um, kind of notorious for, um, uh, for depraved senseless violence and this kind of like um like un unparalleled uh gross depravity and narcissism and also was somebody whose entire family was murdered and then he murdered everyone and and his closest counsel murdered him so like a cycle of betrayal and evil begetting evil um and so I think, uh, you know, evil begetting evil is one of the strongest concepts on the record or one thing that it kind of goes, goes throughout or how evil can be transformed and transcribed. Um, so, so yeah, uh, to me, to me, that's kind of what Caligula is, is meant to mean. Mm. And just finally one last thing on the, on the record you mentioned obviously having guest spots one that kind of stood out to me because he's uh, a friend by association uh, Dylan Walker from Full of Hell so yeah. to to kind of have his voice on it I think 
I'm I'm really excited to see how you've used it. But for for the guest spots that are on the record, when you were sort of recording, did you have those specific people in mind, or was it just a case of things just worked out and they kind of fitted certain certain aspects? Yeah. Um, everyone on the record, for the most part, is somebody who is really, really important to me or super significant to me. Mm. Uh, as like a really good friend. Um, and also, is I I also chose everyone based on like being having like a super specific idiosyncratic sound or style um, that I really like. Okay. Cool. Um, and yeah, with with Dylan, um, one of the things that I mean, I just adore Dylan Walker. I just <laughs> adore him. He's the sweetest, most wonderful person, and is has been such a good friend to me. And yeah, I just love that guy. Um, and, uh, but with Dylan, I think one of the things that's interesting about, I mean, he's a great vocalist. Um, we're also doing another project together that I think will come out in, uh, next year. Oh, awesome. But, um, yeah, but, uh, one thing, you know, getting to work with him in the studio, um, he has so many different, um, kind of timbres and tones that he's able to create with his voice and he has so much control and I'm I just like I really admire his harsh vocals and Mm. um one place where he situates his voice is really close to where my voice sits so um I thought it would be interesting to have us like weaving in and out of each other or in and kind of um to have him superimposed over me and me superimposed over him at various points so there's some moments in the record i think where he is and you can't tell if it's him or me oh that's cool um yeah and then and then points where we're we're both together and yeah i'm i'm really excited to have him um lee buford does drums and he's you know the best and i um Mike Berdan has like a very is uh, a really good friend of mine and has like a very specific um, st- style of vocalizing as well that I wanted I wanted that sound in this specific part of the record so mm. and my friend Nora who's in this project Visibilities has this incredible voice so I was really excited about everyone that that's on the record and before I I let you go Kristen because I've taken up way too much of of your time. I've, I'd, <laughs> be, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask have you got any plans to to head back over to the this side of the Atlantic oh you bet I do <laughs> I'm coming <laughs> I you, will be there are you able to, to divulge when or is it still in the plans at the moment it's still in the plans but it's um or it's it's in progress I okay. think we should be able to announce pretty soon cool. but um it'll it's soon cool it's soon Perfect. Yeah. Um, how I like to to end things, Kristen, is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a with a little bit of a twist. So, oh. what is your favourite song that you like to perform live, and why? Hmm, of my own. Of your own. Hmm. <laughs> this is why I leave it to the end. Yeah. Um. My favorite song of my own to perform live is Holy is the Name of My Ruthless Axe. Yeah. 
Um, and I almost never do it live. Okay. <laughs> and I, so, so I leave it, I leave it for very specific or like very special moments where I'm like, where it's either like, I feel, I feel some, some pushback from the audience tonight. And I yeah. feel like they might need this like very quiet piano song or when I can tell that everyone is kind of there with me and that that's what, what we all need. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my favorite one to do. I Perfect. Think. Brilliant. Kristen, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, um, thank you, Tim. Cannot wait for the record and hopefully you. see you here sooner rather than later. Yes, I will be there. Perfect. Brilliant. <laughs> thank you very much, Kristen. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to Kristen for taking some time out of her day to have a chat with me. As mentioned, Caligua uh, will be released on July 19th, um, and I've been lucky enough to have a sneak preview of it, and I've got to say it's something special. That record is, yeah, it's fucking cool, so go check that out when, when it's released. Um, as always, you can keep up to date with everything Lingua Ignota uh, by visiting all the various social media platforms, which will be linked in the description of this podcast. Um, that's pretty much it for another week. Uh, we'll be back again next Tuesday with another interview. Uh, if you like what you hear, remember, please subscribe, rate and review on whatever platform you're listening to this show on. It really does help the show. Um, but for now, thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast, and I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.